It's really easy to feel down these days, especially in terms of the music industry, the media industry, and the space between them. So far in 2023, at least 17 media companies announced layoffs and four shuttered completely. The size and scope ranged from National Public Radio and billionaire-backed legacy newspaper The Washington Post to niche independent print outlets like The Nib. According to a report from the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University in 2022, more than 360 local newspapers had shuttered just since 2019. That is a quote from managing editor Hilary Saunders in her foreword to the fall issue of No Depression, the quarterly Roots Music Journal that began in 1995 and which took its name in part from the song you are hearing now, No Depression in Heaven by the Carter family, as well as the Uncle Tupelo song No Depression and from the AOL online discussion group on what was then termed alt-country music called the No Depression folder. Notably, the last example is the one that does not exist anymore. You can still find copies of the Uncle Tupelo and Carter family records, and despite all of today's digital headwinds, you can still find the print edition of No Depression. Of course, there's an online edition of No Depression as well, which is run by assistant editor Stacy Chandler, who spoke with me at this fall's IBMA conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. We touch on the history of No Depression, as well as some of the artists and articles in its current issue, Plus, we share takeaways from this year's IBMAs while we examine the bigger picture of bluegrass music in 2023. It's a far-ranging conversation which focuses on one of the biggest weeks of the year for the genre, the ways bluegrass has changed over the decades, as well as the parallel story of print journalism now and then, all those years ago when you had that newfangled AOL account. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, welcoming you to Southern Songs and Stories and our episode on Stacy Chandler of No Depression. Tribulation time will come A storm will hurl a midnight fears And sweep lost millions to their doom I'm going where there's no depression Lovely land that's free from care I'll leave this world of toil and trouble My home's in heaven, I'm going Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org.
This is a bit of the song Thirsty by the band Mipso from their latest album, Book of Fools. And they're one of more than 30 artists interviewed or featured in the fall 2023 print version of No Depression. Mipso fiddler and vocalist Libby Rodenbow is quoted in the article Strength in Numbers, which delves into how independent artists like herself are increasingly turning towards newly formed unions and activist organizations aimed at improving their working conditions and outcomes. Like so much of what I read in this issue, it was a topic, or in other articles, an artist, that I was largely unfamiliar with. But a large part of New Depression's success is how they take material that at a distance could seem esoteric and pull the reader into the story with good old-fashioned insightful writing and interviewing, as well as strong editing and design. I had never heard of Roxy Gordon or Panteo before, for example, but their respective profiles in this issue gave me not only the what, but the why. Pulling in an audience to discover something unfamiliar is no small feat, but they seem to have the knack for it. Balance that with more familiar names like Betty Levette and her equally engaging and revealing profile and, say, an interview with both M.C. Taylor of Hiskold and Messenger and Dallas Green of City and Color, and you have something special. It's no wonder that No Depression received the Utney Reader Independent Press Awards for arts and literature coverage and was cited as one of the nation's top 20 magazines of any kind in 2004 by the Chicago Tribune. But being great at what they do was no guarantee for success in the digital age, and for the better part of a decade, their print publication was scuttled. I sat with Stacy Chandler of No Depression at the Conference Center in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, during the International Bluegrass Music Association's big yearly event, featuring music panels geared towards music artists and professionals, showcase events where attendees could get introduced to new artists, even Tai Chi classes, courtesy of Jim Lauderdale. I was not up at 8 a.m. to take Jim's classes, but I did take in as much as I could in the whirlwind week of all things bluegrass. We started our conversation by touching on No Depression's history before talking about takeaways from IBMA. To give a little history of No Depression, it started in uh, 1995 as a print magazine. Um, I think it was monthly and bi-monthly kind of throughout its history. And, um, you know, finally with the rise of Napster and with record labels having less money to pay for advertising, uh, it went out of print in 2008 and uh, remained a presence on the internet in kind of various forms. Uh, but then, um, I guess in 2014, the Freshgrass Foundation acquired No Depression, uh, and that's a nonprofit organization, uh, and they were able to kind of organize, our, organize it in a way that we had the resources to um, go back and print. So we did that in at around the end of 2015, and now it's a quarterly, uh, a quarterly journal of roots music. And um, it's, it's, you know, nice paper and, and, you know, we just try to, uh, uh, on the print side of things is where we do long form stories. So maybe instead of a profile of one single artist, we might talk about trends that are going on or, or, social issues that people are working on uh, in our current issue, the fall 2023 issue. Uh, we've got a great story um, about unionization in, um, in the music world because you hear about the writer's strike and the actor's strike in Hollywood. And of course, auto workers are on strike now and, and 
Lord knows the music industry has plenty of grievances uh, that need to be worked out um, and power and balance between, you know, the corporate side of things and the independent musician side of things. Um, but there aren't really, there's not, you don't hear about a strong union presence. So the story goes into why that is. And then there are a few unions that are popping up to try to, you know, get some of this stuff done. Uh, and that's the sort of story that we do. Um, uh, in print and then online, of course, we, like I said, do reviews and, and more, you know, uh, spotlights on artists who have albums coming out and that sort of thing. What's the finger on the pulse as from your perspective about IBMA, the, the sort of the scene that we're in this week? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm coming fresh off of Americana Fest too. So <laughs> there's a, there's a lot on my mind. Uh, I think in, in sort of both worlds, which of course overlap quite a bit, I think there is a desire and a need for um, more diversity and more inclusion. You know, both have been sort of the province of, of older white men for a long time, and, and there's all these women and other, all these uh, artists in other categories, women, people of color, LGBTQ, that have not always gotten the spotlight that they deserve. So I think both organizations and, and both groups of fans are really trying to um, learn more about the music from different perspectives and uh, different voices. And it's exciting to see that. I mean, just, you know, in the time that I've been a music journalist, it's really changed. That's been about, uh, you know, I guess I've been, I've been writing about music for, I don't know, about 15 years now, I suppose. And, uh, it's changed and it's changing and there's still a lot of, of room for change, but I, I think it's moving in a good direction. So I, I hear a lot of people talking about that and I see that reflected on some of the stages here uh, this week. So that's been really nice. I also am aware or have observed, you know, some of the pushback yeah, on sure. this as it's not a surprise that would be inevitable, but it's incredibly interesting to me to witness the, the sort of the spectrum of the culture itself coming from, as you say, you know, the the it's a straight white male world uh, that that it was basically essentially born from yeah. that tradition, and now where the younger generations of fans and players are a, a lot different, and that's to be applauded, I think. But there's a there's a lot of friction along the way. Have, sure. Have you noticed? Can you want to comment any on any of that? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right, and we shouldn't ignore that 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 there are people who are not on board with that, and who, um, you know, I don't know why. I think maybe they find it scary, and and then I think in bluegrass in particular, there's just a very um, there's a tendency to cling to a very traditional sound, and that's a great sound, um, you know. But you have to question who has been allowed to make that sound, and and what happens to a genre that you know sounded one way in 1945 and is still sounding the same way, you know, all these decades later. Um, so, you know, people in general are afraid of change and they're afraid of, um, I think, I think bluegrass people, um, are very precious about, um, keep, you know, keeping things recognizable and keeping bluegrass as a distinct sound and not letting it be absorbed into Americana or the wider country music uh, spectrum. But I think there's, you know, I, I mean, Bill Monroe, the originator of the music, was, you know, actually pretty um, open-minded about new sounds and was pretty excited when somebody was playing, you know, taking 
you know, the mandolin shop and doing something different with it or, and that kind of thing. So I, I, I feel like, um, you know, if it was, if, if innovation was, was good enough for Bill Monroe, I feel like, you know, we can keep doing it in, in ways that fit the modern world. And, you know, I don't know what to say to people that are resistant to that. I think, um, I think it would be boring for every genre to sound the same way as it did when it was founded. So I, I think, you know, maybe they're going to seek a more gentle avenue of change or hope that things go slower. But I think, you know, change is inevitable in music. And, and you know, rock and roll doesn't sound the same way as it did in the 1950s. And, and it's, you know, it's, well, I would say it's doing fine. I guess some people would <laughs> disagree with that, yeah, too. It's not, a, not what it used to be. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. But it's, it's, there's still lots of cool stuff. And, I mean, Lord knows we have more music to listen to now, <clears throat> you know, that we can access through the internet and streaming platforms and, and online radio stations that we, you know, you can find what you're looking for. You know, if you, if you don't like the new stuff, you can listen to the old stuff. It's not, um, it's not going anywhere. So I think, um, I think we just need to be open to change and be excited about change and, and, and be open to where change can lead us in the music industry as well as, you know, as music fans. Rihanna Giddens was on the radio at WNCW back in the Carolina Chocolate Drops days. Oh, yeah. And I'll, uh, the, a very memorable session. But one of the things that she said that also stuck with me was she was talking about exactly this in the old time context, which is really like a, an uncle of bluegrass, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. But she said that, you know, when you get stuck in one mold or one, one sort of, you know, this is the only kind of way it can be and it's going to have to sound this way. You know, she said that that just, ossifies yes and uh, perfect I thought that word. was a perfect sort of metaphor yeah absolutely and that's that doesn't serve anybody well yeah. so yeah you know it's important to listen to the people who are digging in their heels and feeling scared but I think we can bring them along with us you know I think they just need a little extra hand holding and they'll be okay Perhaps now is a good time to join hands as we hear some of the Waybacks and Friends from their Hillside Album Hour performance at Merlefest in April 2022 when they played through the Grateful Dead album Working Man's Dead. It is on this year's live album titled One Way or Another, continuing the tradition of Hillside Album Hours going back to 2008 when the Waybacks played through Led Zeppelin II unannounced. James Nash of the Waybacks told No Depression in Stacy Chandler's article about the phenomenon of the tribute set, and in the case of Merlefest, the album hour, 
that the band wanted to do something outrageous for their second appearance at the festival. Merlefest is rooted in old time and bluegrass, but at the same time has always taken its cue from patriarch Doc Watson's description of the music lineup there as traditional plus. Still, the band had no idea how Led Zeppelin in an acoustic format would sit with an audience that likely expected anything but. In hindsight, it seems obvious that if the Waybacks had not done this back then, someone surely would have done something like it sooner or later. Here, the Waybacks are covering Grateful Dead's Slipknot, segueing into Casey Jones, with the bridge being Dolly Parton's 9 to 5, probably all of which would have been anathema at Merlefest in its early years, but it's applauded now. The Hillside Album Hour, like tribute sets at other festivals, is a highlight of Merlefest. Years ago, however, any band associated with the moniker of Bluegrass would have run the risk of getting booed off stage if they had veered into a rock and roll cover. I commented to Stacy Chandler how it seemed to me that while Bluegrass started as a more or less exclusive form focusing on the originality of the genre with its component influences like blues, jazz, old time, and country being subsumed by its own novel interpretation of those foundational influences, it has readily accepted songs outside of the canon in recent decades. Contrasting bluegrass with its old-time music ancestor, though, I noted that old-time has evolved towards featuring more original songs. Contrasting with its age-old habit of sticking with a standard roster of traditional songs and discouraging original songwriting. I asked if she thought that that was a valid observation. Yeah, definitely, and that's interesting to think about. Um, You know, there's a question that I've heard um, bluegrass musicians kind of you know, ask when they're approaching a cover, which is, you know, does it grass? (laughs) And it's amazing with the, you know, pop songs and rock songs, like, you know, does it grass? And, and, and often the the answer is yes. And I mean, you know, I, I love cover songs in general. I just think it's so interesting to hear an artist take a song that we all sort of have in common and put their own spin on it and and to see what comes out I mean that's a form of you know I love an original song too but it's a form of creativity to do a cover that I think is really interesting and and I love that bluegrass is really uh embracing that and I you know gosh I love a a bluegrass cover of a of a pop song um you know a couple bands lately have done a cover of as it was by Harry Styles and that song totally grasses like it's great so infamous string dusters did one and oh there's been another one too and I can't think of it but uh, and I feel like the, I, I haven't found my favorite version of that yet in Bluegrass, but I just really strongly feel like it's out there and someone's going to pop out with it soon. Um, you know, but I, I don't know, something about the upbeat, you know, especially a pop song. You've got the, the, the up-tempo and, and a, you know, sort of a bouncy beat to it, and that's Bluegrass for you, you know? So it makes sense that, that they cross over a little bit, and I just love that. I hope I hear some more of that this week. Yeah, and beyond just the, that that covers, you know, that just doing a cover in covers of rock and roll type songs, pop songs in a bluegrass context. Bluegrass it is also evolving into different subgenres, if you will. Yeah. You know, like uh, things that Trey Wellington is doing. Um, yeah. I don't know if Gangsta Grass is here this year. I saw them last year. Yeah. They've they've really made an impact. Oh yeah. So it's it, there's that. Um, malleability of the genre which I would say is obviously pushing everything forward but then again maybe some purists just don't care for it as much anyway I wonder what your thoughts are on the sort of the the genre itself is like what directions it's going 
in with, say, a Trey Wellington, you know, with the jam grass scene and yeah. that sort of thing. Well, gosh, I mean, I think we have to talk about Billy Strings, Obviously. right? Like he's filling arenas and, and just selling so many tickets to his shows and, and, and rightfully so and winning awards. You know, he won uh, Entertainer of the Year. Uh, from IBMA the other day, um, rightfully so. And I, did he win the same award at Americana Fest? I, maybe it was Artist of the Year. I can't okay. remember exactly. But he's getting all these awards and he's winning all of these new fans, which was great because Billy Strings is just a bluegrass artist. I mean, he's just, and he's great at it. I don't mean to minimize that at all. Like he, and he puts his own spin on it. It's just definitely kind of in the jam grass direction, like you said. Um, but super exciting because, you know, all these people who are Billy Strings fans, they, they might not know that they're bluegrass fans, but they are, you know, that that's just a form of bluegrass. And so that's, um, I think that's just super interesting. Um, and I think that's, you know, a, a big statement about where the genre is heading. I mean, all, a lot of his fans are really young and that's a great way to renew, you know, interest in bluegrass music is, is to watch what he's doing. And I mean, he, you know, at his shows, he's talking about Larry Sparks and he's talking about all the people that introduced and him. And he's so singing he, those songs. Yeah, right, right. He's doing the songs <laughs> as well as talking about, and, 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 but it's important that he's talking about them too, because he's, you know, there's probably a large percentage of his audiences who have never heard of Larry Sparks until Billy Strings talks about him and does one of his songs. And then maybe they're going to go home and get on Spotify and listen to some Larry Sparks and be like, oh, man, I love that, too. I feel like most of us who have gotten into bluegrass got into it because we fell into some kind of rabbit hole like that. I mean, for me, it was Alison Krauss. I heard Alison Krauss on, on the radio. I, I'm sure it was WNCW, actually. And um, was like, whoa, that's, gosh, I love her. I want to learn more about her. So I, you know, listened to Alison Krauss CDs and then... You know, from there, just started hearing other voices, Rhonda Vincent and, and you know, oh, I don't know, I want to list a bunch of names, but um, yeah, you just fall into a rabbit hole. And so that's what Billy Strings is doing. He's kind of opening that up for people. And I think that's so fascinating and, and yeah. exciting. Speaking of Billy Strings, this is the new cover of Nancy Griffith's Listen to the Radio by Billy Strings and Molly Tuttle from the tribute compilation album More Than a Whisper, celebrating the music of Nancy Griffith. Billy Strings will be included in No Depression's winter issue coming out this December in a piece that tells how he ended up playing Tony Rice's guitar. Stacy Chandler is a big fan of radio, by the way. In our interview, she credits Public Radio WNCW for being key to her career path going back to her days at Furman University, where she worked at the student paper, which had WNCW playing most all of the time. Like WNCW, No Depression relies on funding from its fans to keep the lights on, and it's currently hosting a fund drive that goes through the end of the year. Donations are tax-deductible and bring with them the chance to win prizes like copies of their quarterly journal and limited press art prints, among others. You can find details on their website at nodepression.com, where you can also read more articles, reviews, and columns for free. Thanks for listening to this episode. Since you've made it this far, we figure you would probably like to hear more. Earlier this year, we featured the band Gangsta Grass in an episode titled Wait. There's rap and bluegrass now. And in addition to interviewing the band, I also spoke with author, podcaster, and former editor at No Depression and Folk Alley, Kim Rule. All told, there are well over a hundred episodes in this series awaiting you. We're so grateful when you tell someone about this series, 
And it's easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where it will only take a minute to give us a top rating and where it's an option, like on Apple Podcasts, a review. Those top ratings and reviews raise the rankings for this podcast and in turn make the music of artists featured here more likely to be found by more music fans just like you. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. I smell the poncho train, I hear silver wings, and away Merle Haggard flies. That good old boy will find a band of gold on the stereo. Then my mama's gonna call and say where she's gonna say Down the road with the radio on When you can't find the friends to got the radio When you can't find the friends to got the radio Radio We've been having fun with the, the 20 questions game. Ooh. So maybe as a uh, as the outro, you could pick one of the 20 questions that we've got here. All right. Ooh, these are good questions. Uh... <laughs> oh my gosh. The oh okay. How many musical instruments is too many for one musician to own your favorite instrument in your collection? Well, I'm not a musician, so um, maybe this is a bad one for me to pick. But I do, um, you know, I call it my instrument graveyard where I, you know, buy a few instruments and then, you know, don't really ever learn to play them well or get frustrated and put them down. Um, I don't I don't know about how many is too many. I um, I'll skip that part. But my favorite instrument is uh, a fiddle I bought in. Um, like 2005, I played viola in um, middle school and high school and college, not ever very well and not ever intending to do it as a career of any sort, but just because I enjoyed it as a hobby. Um, so I, I, you know, knew how to play viola, which uh, is not really a <laughs> bluegrass instrument, although maybe someone will make it one one day. But um, I did want to switch. When I started listening to bluegrass and old time music, I decided I wanted to try to play in that style. So I bought a fiddle. And I was living in Tokyo, Japan at the time. And on my way to the train every morning, I would pass this kind of uh, like used instrument store. And I never really went in except for one day I was walking past and there was this amazing live bluegrass music spilling out from the doors onto the sidewalk. And of course I had to stop and slow down and poke my head in there and see what was going on. And it it was a Sunday afternoon bluegrass jam 
like we see in, you know, our part of the world. And um, it was, they were playing Amazing Grace. They were playing um, Don't Let Your Deal Go Down, I think. Um, you know, they played through all these great songs and it was amazing. They poked my head in there and, and they were so welcoming. I didn't have an instrument at the time, but I ended up buying a violin, a fiddle from that shop. And I, I still have it. I still have my uh, receipt. It was, you know, 30,000 yen, which sounds like a lot of money. It was like $300. Um, but yeah, I still have that fiddle. I don't play it very much anymore, but one day I'll get back into it. But that's, that is my, uh, my favorite instrument in my collection. <laughs> 